Hi everyone, Merry Christmas. This is Pastor Brian from Mount Hope's Belmont campus. In this sermon, we end our series in the book of Romans. We talked through Romans chapter 16, where Paul lists a bunch of his friends there in the church in Rome and also gives them a warning. It's a warning we need to hear as well. And so I hope you'll listen closely because I think that God has something today that he wants to say to you. When's the last time, when's the last time you got a warning, you received a warning that you were really happy you received? When's the last time someone came to you or you watched it on television and, and someone came to you and, and gave you a warning that you're really glad that you got? I mean, warnings are important, aren't they? If we receive a warning, it's important because warnings allow us to prepare and get ready for what is going to come, or warnings help us avoid things that could be potentially harmful or damaging. One of the things that's happening in our world is it seems like we are getting way too many warnings sometimes, doesn't it? It's so hard to buy a product anymore. You can't buy anything anymore that doesn't have a warning label on it. Pretty much everything that we buy, whether that's clothing or small electronics or anything that we buy has some sort of warning label on it. It seems like we're being overwarned in our world today. There's so many things to be aware of. In fact, uh, if you watch a prescription drug commercial, right, the prescription drug commercial will be 25% of what a prescription drug can do for you, and 75% of that commercial will be uh, everything that could possibly go wrong with that product that they're telling you you should be taking. So all those prescription commercials, it's 25% what it will do for you that's good, and 75% what might happen and what might go wrong if you take this drug. We get all sorts of warnings. We get all sorts of warnings, don't we? And the thing that's good about warnings is that warnings allow us to prepare. Warnings allow us to get ready for things. Warnings allow us to avoid things that might be harmful to us. Now, here's what I'd like for you to do. Everyone got one of these communication cards, hopefully, when you walked in. Or maybe you just have a scrap piece of paper. And right in front of you, there's, there should be a pen. There should be a, a pen right in front of you. I'd, I'd ask you just for a moment. This is just for you. No one's going to look at these things. I'm not going to ask anyone to share I'd like you to do something for me. On your connection card, on the back of this connection card, there is a blank space. And you could grab any scrap piece of paper or grab this card. I'd like for you to take a couple of minutes and write down a few names of people who are really important to you. These are the people that you love. These are the people you care about. Write down the names of a few people that are really important to you. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, or the last few months, really, you know that we have been walking through the book of Romans. And now we are in Romans chapter 16. This is the end of that journey through the book of Romans. We started just after Easter, and we spent the last eight months or so walking through this book together. And now we're at the very end of this book. And here's what Paul does at the end of this book. Paul, just like you are right now, makes a list of the people that are sitting in the church in Rome who are very important to him, the people who he cares about the most. And here's what I would say is true about the list that you're making or have made. If you look at the names on that list, if you knew that something was coming that could potentially harm those people, if you knew that something was coming that could cause those people struggle, or pain, 
you look at that list of people, and I don't know about you, but if I had to warn a group of people about something that was coming, that's the first group that I would go to, the people that are on that list. If I was to make a list of the people I care about the most, the family and friends that are closest to me, if there was something that was coming that they needed to know about, that they needed to be warned about, those are the people that I would go to first and warn them about what is coming and warn them about what is happening. And this is exactly what Paul does in this passage. He makes a list of the people that are most important to him, the people that he loves here in the church at Rome. As he closes out this letter, lists the people that he loves, and then he offers them a warning. I'd invite you to join me as we read uh, through Romans chapter 16. I'm going to read just the first 16 verses, and we're going to look at this list that Paul has made here together. And as we read Paul's list, think about your list as well. Chapter 16, verse 1, Paul writes, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Ansecretus, Philegon, Hermes, Petrobas, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philogus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Now I'm counting that I read those names with enough conviction that we all agree I pronounced them correctly, right? <laughs> Why does Paul put this list in the end of his letter? Paul puts this list here because these are the people he cares about. These are the people he cares about. And in the next few words, verses, he's going to offer them a warning. Just like if you knew something was coming and the people on that list that you made needed to know about it, needed to be warned, you would give them a call or you would text them or you would Facebook them or some way to warn them that something is coming on. Paul offers a warning. I mean, it's not unlike what our teachers or parents or mentors have done for us through different stages of our life. Often this happens when we walk into a new stage of life. 
Maybe the first time we went to middle school or high school, somebody who cared about us sat us down and said, listen, I hope you enjoy this next stage of life. I hope you enjoy going to school. There can be some good things that happen, but just be careful. Be careful. Be careful of those who would bully you. Be careful of those who would try to lead you into things that aren't healthy for you. It's like what our parents did or or someone you care about did when they handed you the car keys for the first time. Enjoy this. Enjoy this privilege, but just... Be careful and think through what you're doing. Or maybe you went into a new career and a boss or a mentor sat you down and said, I think you're going to be very successful, but just be aware because this might happen or these people might try to monopolize your time. And the same way Paul talks to these people he cares about and he gives them a warning. I think if Paul was to write this letter to our church today, he would do the exact same thing. He would say, say hello to Justin and say hello to Ron and say hello to Lifong, and say hello to all the people of the church in Belmont. And then he would offer us this same warning. The warning that he offered the church in Rome is still one that we need to heed today. Here's what he writes, verse 17 through 20. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So Paul offers the people he cares about this warning. He says, listen, I have given you all sorts of truth in this letter. And we talked about this when we first started the book of Romans, if you can remember back to when we started, and we've talked about it throughout, that this letter to the church in Rome, many people would agree, many Bible scholars would agree, many Christians would believe, is the greatest document that we have when it comes to knowing who God is, who we are, who Jesus Christ is, and understanding the relationship that we can have between us and God here on this earth and also for eternity because of the work of Jesus Christ. When it comes to how we should think, how we should live, the book of Romans contains all sorts of great truth, and we've walked through that together. And now here's this church in Rome, and they've also received the exact same truth that we have been receiving through this book. And Paul says, listen, you have all this truth. It's all good, but here's what's going to happen. Someone's going to come along, Paul says, and with smooth talk and flattery is going to try to talk you out of the truth that you've received. Notice Paul doesn't say someone's going to come along uh, with a completely different idea and try to convince you it's true. Someone's going to come along, Paul doesn't say this, someone's going to come along and they're going to be very transparent about what they're trying to do. They're going to try to get you to leave and, 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 and disbelieve everything that you've heard and walk the other way. Paul doesn't use those words at all. Paul says, I'm warning you. Someone's going to sneak in and they're going to be a smooth talker and they're going to flatter you and everything that they say is going to sound great. And they're going to seem like great people. And they're just going to have a way with people and a way with words. But I'm just warning you. 
that what they're doing might be leading you away from the truth that I've told you. And so if those people come, I'm warning you that you need to avoid them. It was true for the church in Rome, and I think it's true for us today. We have this truth that we've been given, this truth about who God is and who we are and who Jesus is and what that all means for our relationship with God and then how we're to live in this world because of that truth. And people come along, don't they, with smooth talk and with flattery and great-sounding ideas. And if we're not careful, that truth that we once held so dearly, the truth that we have known to be true We can be led away from that. And so then the question becomes, well, how then do we prepare? If that's the warning, and warnings are good because they allow us to prepare and avoid things that might be harmful to us, then how are we supposed to prepare for this? How are we supposed to make sure that if we have the truth and someone else comes along trying to give us a different version of that truth that we aren't swayed away from what is real and what is true. That would, be one of the, that would be the worst thing to figure out at the end of this all, isn't it? At the end of this life. If we were to come at the end of this life and to realize that at one point we knew the truth and were holding on to it, but we had been swayed to go a different direction and it ended up being a giant mistake in our lives. We want to avoid that. We don't want to see that happen. So if that's the warning, how then are we supposed to prepare ourselves so that it doesn't happen to us? Well, Paul gives us two things in this passage that I think are so crucial. And they're important for you. They're important for me. And the two simple things that Paul tells us we need to do is he says, first, we need to know the truth that we've been taught. The word that Paul uses there in this, in this translation is doctrine. You need to know the doctrine that you've been taught. You need to be clear on what the truth is. You need to spend your time, Paul says, studying what is true and studying what is right so that you know it inside and out. What Paul is doing reminds me a little bit of those commercials that you've probably seen. A lot of times they happen with like laundry detergent or sometimes they do like the Coke challenge or something like that on a commercial. And what they do in those kind of commercials is they take the name brand product, which is it's more expensive and, and, and promises to do something, and they pit it against the imitation brand or the generic brand that promises to do the very same thing that the brand name product does. And so maybe there's a grass stain or a, on, on jeans or a stain in the carpet or something like that or uh, just uh, glasses marked A and B, and they, they, what they do is they show how the brand name product works, and then they show how the imitation product works. And the point of the commercial is to show you that although the imitation promises great things, although the imitation promises to take you to a great place and to do great things, it is a poor substitute for the real thing. And I feel like that's what Paul's saying to us today. And Paul would say to us, don't let yourself be fooled. You have the truth. You know what is real. You understand the doctrine that you've been taught, and people are going to come along, and it's not going to look completely different. It's going to look kind of similar. And they're going to suggest to you a different version of what you've been told. And Paul's saying to us, don't buy it. Instead, do this. 
know the doctrine that you've been taught, been absolutely clear on what it is that is the truth and what it is that God has said. I was reading an article this week um, from the Royal Bank of Canada. Well, it was about the Royal Bank of Canada. And it was an interview with a woman who is in charge of the counterfeiting operation for the Royal Bank of Canada, detecting counterfeit money, not making counterfeit money. <laughs> and she said that when she trains tellers and when she trains the workers at the Royal Bank to look for counterfeit money, they have a system. And that system is touch, tilt, look at, and look through. And she said, this is what we teach our tellers that they need to take real Canadian dollars and they need to touch them and know how they feel so that if they touch something different, they'll immediately recognize that it's different. And they need to tilt the bill because the bills have these uh, shiny strips that run vertical on the bill and when they're tilted, they flash different colors. And they need to tilt the bill and they need to know what colors flash and where and how that flash is supposed to happen. And then they need to take the bill and they need to look at it and study it and know all the different intricacies and the different details and the different measures that are put into the bill so that it can't be counterfeited. And the final thing that they do is they look through it. So they hold it up to the light, and you've done this, and there's watermarks that are in the bill. And so they look through it and they see that the watermarks are there. And she said the goal here at the Royal Bank of Canada is to have our tellers spend so much time touching, tilting, looking at, and looking through the real thing that when they receive a fake bill, when they receive the counterfeit money, even though it looks good and it smells good, when they touch it and they tilt it and they look at it and they look through it, they can see that it's not the real thing. And that's what Paul's saying to us. He's saying, you need to spend so much time understanding what God has said. You need to spend so much time in this book understanding what God has said and the truth that you've been taught so that you are touching this and tilting it and looking at it and looking through it so that when something else comes along and you're handed something else and you take that and you begin to touch it and you begin to tilt it and you begin to look at it and look through it, you can know that even though it looks good and even though it sounds good, it just doesn't measure up to what is real and what is true. Paul tells us to spend time in what we've been taught. Well, what have we been taught? I've told you that book of, the book of Romans is one of the greatest theological documents that we have. And so I'm going to give us the absolute extreme Cliff's Notes version. We, we measured it, we reduced it down to four items. But there is so much more in the book of Romans that we need to understand. But here's four big ones that the book of Romans says. Four truths that we've learned. The first one is that all are sinners. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul demonstrates that at the beginning of this book, that all of us, God has asked us to do things, we've done something different in our lives. So we're all sinners. But Paul says that Jesus came while we were still sinners and he died for you and for me. Didn't die for the perfect people, he died for the imperfect people. And then Paul said that the free gift of salvation is offered us, and that if we would believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord and confess with our mouth that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and with your mouth that you confess and are saved. That's Romans 10, 9, and 10. 
And then finally, in these last few chapters of the book of Romans, he tells us to live like living sacrifices, to give up our life for God, to live for his glory and for his honor. Now, that's just some of the truth that we've been taught in this book, but those are four big ones, that we're all sinners. But while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And if we would believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord and confess with our mouth that he raised from the dead, we might be saved. And then once we walk through that process, that we are to live as living sacrifices, to die to ourselves and live for Jesus Christ. And Paul says, you should know this through and through, that this truth should be something that you are so familiar with. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, how much time am I spending in my life touching and tilting and looking at and looking through the truth that God has given me? How much time have I really spent outside of 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning, thinking through and reading and studying and listening and meditating on the truth that God has given me? Is this something that has so saturated my life and my, and my heart and my mind that if anything came out, else came along, I would be able to recognize it? Or do I say I believe but if I was to be honest with you, I'm not 100% sure of everything that's even in here. Or I say I believe, but I don't even know if I've ever actually read what's in here. Paul would say to us, you need to be 100% clear on what the truth is and know it. And the second thing that he would say to us is, be clear on the truth. And then he would say to us, make sure that when you encounter the imposter, when you encounter the imitation, that you avoid it. Be sure that when you encounter the imitation, the thing that promises something great but doesn't deliver, you avoid it. See, here's the tricky thing about imitations. Imitations, and Paul uses the word smooth talk and flattery, imitations promise us something great that they just can't deliver. It's like the TV pitchmen, right, who told us that we would get rich flipping houses, and so we bought the real estate course, or we attended the seminar, and when we went to the seminar or read the course, we realized that the only person getting rich off this whole thing was the pitchman who sold us the thing off television to begin with. Or we bought the thing that told us that we could just strap electrodes to our stomach and we would get a six-pack while we're watching television. Smooth talk and flattery, it just, it sounds good. It sounds like a great idea, but it never fully delivers, when it's an imitator, it never fully delivers all the promises that it says it will. And you know, we have an enemy that has always worked like this when it comes to the truth of the Bible. It's always been like this, that we face an enemy who would come in and, and, and not necessarily uh, blow the whole thing up, but comes in with smooth talk and flattery just to try to get us off by a little bit. If you've ever read the beginning of this book, you know the story that God created Adam and Eve and set them in a garden, and God just had one rule for Adam and Eve. And that rule was they could eat of any tree of the, of the garden, but there was one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that they were not allowed to eat from. If they made that decision, they would be like God himself. And there was to be a distinction between God and the creation. And so God said, I have no rules but one that you don't eat from this tree. 
And in that story, the Bible says that the serpent came up to Eve, the enemy came up to Eve and whispered in her ear. And he didn't say to her, you know that thing that God told you, you know God, the one who created you and put you in this beautiful place, you should reject him completely and follow somebody else. He didn't say that to her. He didn't say, you know that truth that you received, the things that God told you, you should forget all of that and just go your own way. He doesn't say that to her. He comes up to her and he says, did God really say, think about this with me, Eve, did God really say that you can't eat from that tree? Why would God say that? I think God doesn't want you to be like him. I think God's kind of holding you back. And what's the big deal if you do it anyway? And he doesn't come in and try to blow the whole thing up. He just comes in with smooth talk and flattery and says, Eve, you're good enough to do this. I mean, why, what is the big deal? And Adam and Eve, if you know the story, they go and they eat from the tree and the relationship that they had between God and themselves was broken. The relationship that we might have with God and us was broken because of that action. And we have an enemy that's always come in and worked like this. Not necessarily coming in with, with the big thing, but coming in with smooth talking and flattery. And it's the thing that you and I are susceptible to. And the challenge with it is it always looks like a good idea. It looks like something positive. But it ends up being something that takes us down a road that we don't want to be on. So you think quickly about the truth that we've heard in the book of Romans. All have sinned. And then someone comes along with smooth talk and flattery and says, no, 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 no. All people are good. All people are good. And it sounds nice to us, doesn't it? To believe in the innate goodness of humanity. And I'm not saying that people don't do nice things for each other. And I'm not saying that people don't do good things in this world. All I'm saying is somewhere deep down inside of us in our core, we have rebelled against God and we have sin that we cannot take care of ourselves. And we can choose to believe that all people are good. But what we have to do is we just have to completely ignore the news and completely ignore what happens in our world and the way we walk over each other and the way we treat each other and the way we treat each other when we're driving and the way we have to teach our kids to do what is right, but we never have to teach them to do what's wrong. That's just in them. They know how to be selfish. We have to treat them to be, un we have to teach them to be unselfish. And even in our own hearts, we have to ignore the fact that, that we're not nice people sometimes and we think some bad thoughts and we do some bad things. And somewhere deep down inside of us, we're sinners, but the imitator would come along. And say, no, 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 all people are basically good. We have to be aware of that. The imitator would come along, and they would say, we would say, while well, we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the imitator would come along, and he would say, well, Jesus was a good teacher, but he wasn't a savior. And it sounds good. Yeah, maybe that's what he was. Maybe he was just a good teacher. The challenge with that one, as C.S. Lewis has famously pointed out, the author of the Chronicles of Narnia, is that Jesus said some pretty bold statements, like he's God, and like he was going to die and be raised again in three days, like he's a healer and someone with the power to forgive sins. And so he can't just be a good teacher. He's either the savior of the world or he's nuts, really. He's not in between. He's one or the other. 
So someone might come along and say, no, no, just, just take the love of your enemies, do unto others as you would do unto them, blessed are the poor, and you can leave the rest. But it's an imitation. It's not the same. There's free gift of salvation by believing and confessing. And someone might come along and say, if salvation exists, it's by works. It's by measuring the good against the bad. It's if you're nice to people and if you do good things more than you do bad things, uh, then, then you'll make it into heaven. And it sounds good, doesn't it? Gives everybody a fair shot. The problem with that sort of logic is we have no idea where the line is. How do I know when I've been good enough? How do you know when you've been good enough? I mean, I've done some bad things. Have you done some bad things? How do you know that you've done enough good things to outweigh the bad things? And how do competing statements among competing belief systems all work together if, if, if they're all true at the same time and have competing statements? How does that all work? We'll never know the line if this is the system. We'll never know when we've been good enough. And the Bible creates a fair system. Here's how you know for sure. You trust in Jesus Christ. But this sounds good. It sounds good. And live as a living sacrifice. Live for God's glory. The imitation would come along and say, no, live for yourself. Life is short. Live for what makes you happy. And it sounds good. But the reality is, and some of us know this, you can try everything that is available to you in this world. And some of us in this room, we've tried everything that's available to us in this world. And the depths of your soul will continue to want, and the depths of your soul will continue to remain unsatisfied. The depths of your soul will continue to remain unfulfilled. And many of us have chased happiness for years in our lives and have found ourselves more depressed than ever as we run after it. But it sounds good. And Paul's saying to us, I just want you to be careful. I want to warn you. People are going to come along, and they're going to have ideas that sound good, and there'll be smooth talk, and there'll be flattery, and you'll think that it's a good idea, but don't go with them, avoid them. Because if at, the, at the end of the day, you want a relationship with God that brings true satisfaction and true fulfillment, if you want a relationship with God that lasts into eternity, then you need to hang on to the truth which I have told you and know it in and out so that when someone comes along with an, impost, an imposter, when someone comes along with an imitation, you know exactly what it is. I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward as we close this morning. Perhaps you've seen on um, the History Channel or National Geographic or one of those channels, Discovery, one of the shows where they have the auction house or they have the pawn shop, and people bring in items that they want to sell. I was watching one a few years ago, and a man brought a violin into a pawn shop. And he said, I have here a Stradivarius violin. Now, if you know anything about violins, or even if you don't, maybe you've heard the name Stradivarius. I don't think there's a more expensive violin on the face of the earth that you could own than a Stradivarius violin. He said, I was at an auction house and they put this Stradivarius violin up for auction and I purchased it. And I forget what the exact number was, but he had paid a lot of money for it. And he said, I would like to sell it to you. And the price that he was looking for was in the hundreds of thousands of dollars for this violin. And so the owner of the shop said, let me bring in my expert. So the expert violin guy comes in and he picks up the violin, and you can tell from his reaction, he knows immediately it's a fake. And the man starts pointing things out, but it has this, and it has that, and it, even if you look through the hole inside, you can see that it's autographed, it's signed Stradivarius, 
And the expert said, listen, I know it looks real. And he had his reasonings as to why it was built long after Stradivarius had made violins. And he said, what you have here is a pretty good fake. He said, it's a good violin. It's worth about $500, which was way less than the man had paid for it. But he said, it's not a Stradivarius. You know, the only reason that he knew it wasn't was because he had spent so much time with the real thing. To me or you, that violin, if someone told me it was a Stradivarius, I would have said, wow, that's fantastic. You have a Stradivarius there, I'm happy for you. But it was the one who had spent so much time with the real thing who was able to, in a moment, be able to sniff out what wasn't real. And the man, the expert in the show said to the man who had the violin, he said, just because something has a label doesn't mean it's real. Just because something has a label doesn't mean it's real. Listen, people might come along and they might tell you that they're from God or they have a message from God. They might be a part of a ministry. They may be saying that they're saying what God has told them to say. But we can't just buy things because people have a label and people tell us something is true. We can't buy what this world is selling just because people tell us that it's true. We have to know the truth that God has given us and spend so much time with it so that when the imitation comes along, we're able to sniff it out. And if Paul was here this morning, Paul would say to you and he would say to me, don't be fooled by imitations. They never do what they're promised. And some of us in this room this morning, we are buying into and we are believing a version of the truth that is not true and is not real. And we have to be aware of this in every area of our lives. Some of us are running and trying to find hope and trying to find comfort and trying to find significance in places where it does not ultimately exist. Some of us are doing things we know we shouldn't be doing because they make us happy for a moment. And when that happiness fades, we go right back and we do it again. Because we're looking for the happiness, we're looking for the purpose, we're looking for the significance, but we're looking in places that cannot give it to us. And this morning, maybe we would just have to come back to God and say, God, I'm sorry that I've been looking this, for this in a place that does, it doesn't exist. I'm sorry that I've bought into the smooth talk, I bought into the flattery, and I have believed something that is an imitation of what you say is true. And this morning, I want to come back and I want to follow you again. Maybe this morning you're in this room and you feel like you've tried all the imitations. You've tried all the other things that are out there. And every time you try them and every time you pour yourself into them, you think this is going to be the time that your heart is satisfied and made whole. And you're here this morning having tried all the imitations and I would invite you this morning to put your trust in what is real and what is true the God who loves you, and the God who died for you, and the God who longs to have a relationship with you. This is what is true. The truth is, is that I'm 
a sinner who is, whose relationship was broken with God. And because of that brokenness, God sent his son down to this earth to die on the cross for my sin and, and to be raised again that he might prove that he has victory over sin and death. So that when I put my trust in Jesus Christ, I am now guaranteed a relationship with God here and now and for eternity. And so whatever I can do to live my life as a living sacrifice to him, that is what I strive to to do. And that is what is true for me and it's true for you as well. And so our trust and our hope is in Jesus Christ who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And I hope for you this morning that in every area of your life you will embrace that truth. And not give yourself up to the imitations hoping they'll deliver but that you'll give yourself to the one true God who loves you, died for you. And I'd invite you right now just to bow your head and close your eyes. And if you're in this place this morning and you would say, yeah, that's what I want. I want that relationship. I've never had it before and I want it this morning. Or I used to have it and I've walked away and I want it again. I'd invite you in these moments in your own heart to talk to God. And express to him that you're sorry for what you've done. Say to him that you believe in the truth of what his word says. That God is who he says he is, that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. And then ask God if he would come and dwell in your heart and dwell in your life and that he would lead you and that he would guide you. God, I pray this morning for all of us that we would not be swayed by imitations but Lord, that we would be people who diligently study your truth, who diligently know your truth, that we might be able to follow you and to love you and to serve you no matter what else comes our way. Would we be the kind of people who listen to your voice so much that we know what it sounds like so that if any other voice would come along, we would be able to avoid it. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the love that you have shown to us. Help us to follow you well by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening to this sermon from the Belmont campus of Mount Hope. If you live in the Belmont area, we'd love to have you join us each Sunday at 10 a.m. Or if you'd like to know more about Mount Hope Christian Center with campuses in Burlington and Belmont, Massachusetts, you can visit our website at www.mounthope.org.